Well, let me add my welcome to you today. Thank you so much for being part of church here today at SDBC on this Good Friday. It's a bit of an oxymoron really, isn't it? But regardless, today is a day we should focus on and celebrate because it's today that we reflect on and rejoice. There's what is both the most terrible and the most awesome and wonderful day and event that has ever happened in human history. I have to tell you, uh, I struggle when it comes to presenting messages like this because I really want to make it relevant to where we are right now. But I want it to be valued. I want it to be something that connects those who are listening to the gospel message. And I want it to be in a manner that is understood. So let's just pause and pray and invite God to speak to us today. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence with us. I thank you, Lord, that even in these times when we're physically separated, you, by power of Holy Spirit, can mix and mingle amongst us. You can minister to us. And so, Lord, we ask that you'll be present with us even now. We ask, Lord, that you will speak to us, that you will speak in a way that will change us and cause us to draw closer to you. Father, we want to know you more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning's message is going to be quite a simple message. I'm going to present the gospel in the way that I quite often do with so many people. And so you've heard me say uh, many times about the God, man, God, what if you do, what if you don't method. And that is exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. God, man, God, what if you do, what if you don't. So in the beginning, God. When we go back to Genesis, we see the account of the beginning of all things. And in fact, Genesis opens up with a very simple statement in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And those first few words are astounding. There are weeks of messages contained in this. If we look at original translations and things like that, there's much that we could talk about. We're going to keep it simple uh, this morning when it comes to that. But the bottom line is, this tells us that God exists and he always was. He lives outside of time and he created the universe and everything that we can see and touch. He created mankind to have relationship with him. And when he finished, he looked upon his creation, everything, including man, and he saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And we know and we are told that God is pure, he is holy, he is perfect, he is, lives in unapproachable light. And as such, he can't be in the presence of sin because he is pure and holy. Adam and Eve had this incredible relationship with God. They direct, talked directly to him, but this relationship doesn't last. And so we see the second point is man and in particular, the rebellion of man. Sadly, Adam and Eve were deceived. And instead of being content with God as their king, allowing him to rule over their lives, they thought that they could be their own masters and do things the way they wanted to. And Genesis 3, 6 tells us, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. And it's no different today. There was a time in my life when I thought everything was about doing what was right for me. And I'm told in Romans 12:1, I'm to present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I never did that. I was more interested in what made me feel good, what helped me to make friends. So allowing God to rule my life, this whole sacrifice thing was far from my mind. But there was always this longing for more. And I got a bit 
mixed up there. What was this more? Maybe I needed more money. Maybe I needed a different job. Maybe I need a nicer car. Maybe I needed just to reach out to more people. Maybe I would be more loved and accepted if I did those types of things. But in the midst of this, I still saw myself as a good guy. I thought that I was doing things well. I had a lot of friends around me. I had people who thought I was a good guy too. And so I thought that if I just kept being good, then everything would be all right, regardless of what came after this life. But then I started to think about God. And if I think about God, I have to consider what he says, his standards. And there's a passage that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that didn't sit well with me. I'm a good person. I don't sin. I've never murdered. I've never stolen anything. I've never committed a serious crime. But as I learnt a little about God, I also came across a passage that tells me the greatest commandment in Scripture. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And I didn't do that. In fact, I didn't think of God much at all. It was all about me. And even though I and the others don't like to admit it, I love myself more than anyone or anything else. What I, was did, what I did was done to make me feel good, to make me more popular. The bottom line is, I was created to be holy, to be like God, to think of others before myself, but I didn't. So if I'm not doing what God called me to do, it is just as Romans said, I've wronged God. I've been disobedient to him. I have sinned. I came to realize that I can, if I continued the way that I was living, then I deserve to be judged by God. It would be fitting that because I ignored him in this life, then I have no right to believe that I would be with him in the next life or live in his kingdom. There was nothing I or the rest of the human race could do to help ourselves. But the God we worship wasn't happy with us being left in sin. And so we know God saves sinners. And this is the incredible thing about the Christian faith. As I said, we were helpless. There was no way that we could repay or somehow appease a righteous, just, all-powerful, all-holy God. But he is also loving, compassionate, kind and forgiving. He wanted to make a way to bring us back into relationship with him. And this is it. Romans 5, 6 and 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is basically being said here is that people may on the rare occasion die for a righteous person. And they may even choose to die for a good person. But no one, no one is content to die for a sinner. No one is content to die for a bad person. But this is exactly what God did. He didn't wait for us to acknowledge him, to get better, to reach a spiritual level that was worthy of him. When we were at our worst, he stepped into our world to save us. Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem. He grew in wisdom and knowledge, and then he began a ministry which ran for around three years. And then on what we celebrate as Good Friday, he was falsely accused. He was arrested. He was beaten and he was crucified. And the incredible thing is, Jesus knew this was his destiny. He was literally born to die. 
When he first began his ministry, he went to a wedding in Cana. And they ran out of wine at this wedding. And his mother came to Jesus and told him. And his response was, woman, what is this to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Later, his brothers were teasing him because they didn't believe he was the son of God either. And so they're telling him he should go up to the feast in Jerusalem. So everyone would see that he is the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus says, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. But Jesus does go up to Jerusalem during that feast. It's about halfway through the festival and he heads into the temple and uh, the leaders get offended by him once again. And they set out to arrest him. But John 7.30 says that they tried to seize him, but no one could lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Then he has another run in with the leaders the next day. But again, Jesus was in the temple in the room where the offering boxes were placed. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. But then in John 12, 23, Jesus mentions that the hour has now come for the Son of Man to receive his glory. A few verses later, he makes a similar statement again. In John 12, 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is an emphasis on the reason and purpose of Jesus' life. He was born literally in the shadow of the cross. He may have preached the word. He may have healed people. He may have performed incredible miracles. But all of that fades into insignificance when compared to the primary reason he came. He is, of course, talking about his coming crucifixion. I believe Jesus knew exactly what was coming. He knew he would face incredible pain. He knew he would face a degrading death. But more than all that, he would face the agony of separation from his father. All through the Gospels, Jesus is portrayed as always referring to God as father. And when he comes to this hour, when he is at his lowest point, hanging on a cross, carrying the weight of our sin, when he takes the full punishment for us and God turns his face from the sin he so abhors, Jesus is left separated for the first time from his father. And he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. He's hanging on a cross, bearing all of our sin, bearing all of our judgment, he takes the wrath, which should have been for me, which should have been for you. It should have been poured out on us, and instead it is poured out on him. And his father turns his face away, because he can't bear to look upon sin. The first time in all of eternity that Jesus is separated. And the crazy thing is, Jesus came for this. He chose this. This was his destiny. As agonizing as it was, physically, mentally, spiritually, this is what his life was for. All the scripture points to Jesus. And Jesus continually points to the cross as the focal point of his life. He came to die. Not just any death at any time, a spe specific death at a specific time and for a specific purpose. 
He died in order that we could be saved. He took my place. He took your place on that cross. The perfect Son of God took our sin upon himself so he could provide a way for us to be put back into right relationship with God, whatever the cost to himself. Traditionally, we spend a lot of time focusing on Easter Sunday, the resurrection. But it is the completed work of the cross which is central to our faith. We have all gone astray. We have turned to our own ways. And when we turn to our ways, we turn from God's ways. I believe that includes all of us. Sin is a disease of the human heart. Every part of us is affected by its bondage. It is the cross and the cross alone which confronts this evil, which dominates the whole world. True freedom can be found in Christ and his finished work on the cross. The cross demands a change. It demands a new lifestyle. Do you believe this? What if you do? Today is a day we celebrate all that Jesus did in taking our punishment upon himself so that we could be put back in a right relationship with God. It was God himself who reached out to us through Jesus. God doesn't love people because of what Jesus did for us, dying on the cross. He sent Jesus to die for us because he loved us. He did it while we were yet sinners, without hope. And it is through the death of Jesus that our relationship with God can be changed. Jesus' death paid the price once and for all sin. Those sins we commit accidentally, those sins we commit deliberately, those sins we commit unknowingly, all of them, regardless of how big or how small, Jesus paid the price for them. Even those sins that you're thinking about right now, the ones that you don't think you can be forgiven for, Jesus paid the price on the cross. If you do believe, then God calls you to repent, to ask for forgiveness, for going your own way, for doing your own thing, for ruling your own life, and then ask him to be your Lord and Saviour. Submit yourself to him and let him lead and guide you. When you do, he will forgive you. He will welcome you home and you will have eternal life with him. But what if you don't believe that? What if you don't? There really is no easy way to say this. If you reject Jesus, you are rejecting God. And come that day, you will be left outside the kingdom, cut off from God and all things good forever. That life is called hell. It is the second death, the death we suffer after our physical death. John, 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. And I want to speak to you this morning. Believer and non-believer alike. Each of us experiences pain. Each of us experiences heartache. Each of us experiences grief sometime in our lives. And if it's not ours to carry, then it touches us. It's the friends and we move on. But as a pastor, we experience this weekly. How do we speak to the brokenhearted? How do we continually meet with those who have lost loved ones? 
How do we speak into the lives of families who've seen their children die? How do we speak into the darkness of depression, the fear of the unknown in cancer diagnoses? Those who have uncertain futures, those who are unsure what tomorrow is going to bring. How do we minister to those who are without hope, who had the worst of life thrown at them, and who are following that path of temptation which says there is no God, or at least not a God who genuinely cares and loves us? Obviously, as I stand before you, I can't speak on behalf of the other pastors. I can't tell you what they think or say, but I'm pretty sure it's a safe bet to say that we can do this only because we've been there. And we can do this because we've encountered the crucified Christ. At the time we met Jesus, in the midst of our own suffering, he showed me many things. He held out his now pierced hands, proof of his suffering for me. Suffering he endured for me. Suffering he endured for each one of us. And he weeps even now, not for the suffering that he has experienced, but for your suffering, for what you are going through. And he weeps for you who have hearts that are bitter and resentful. He weeps. And he holds his arms outstretched, so ready to receive you, so ready to forgive. He has suffered for you. He alone knows the answers. He alone can heal you. And he alone can bring you peace. Let's pray. Father God, today is Good Friday. And Lord, it's been so difficult to understand why it's called Good Friday. But Lord, today we celebrate that your Son, Lord Jesus Christ, came and died in our place. He took his sin upon himself. And though it was a terrible, horrible day with incredibly inhumane things that happened to him, we are so thankful that your love and his love was so great that he endured all of that for me. He endured all of that for each one of us. And I just pray this morning, Lord, that those hearing my voice now will realize afresh the incredible gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. That each of us, Lord, will repent of our sin, believer and non-believer alike, and will declare you today as our Lord and Saviour, and will do all we can to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name.